Hello, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, a uh, Critical Role rewatch podcast uh, produced here by Final Show Films. I'm your executive producer, Sinstaku, also known as John Bates, at John A. Bates on Twitter. And with me today is Jack. Hey, this is Jack. I'm at AltF4Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, my name is Jeremy. I'm on my Twitter is jthomas411 Mania. And uh, this week we are talking about Critical Role Episode 5, The Trick About Falling, aired on uh, April 9th, 2015. I had to remember days, the numbers associated to months there. <clears throat> and in this episode we have Orion Akaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talazan Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Travis Willingham as Grog, and, as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Previously, the party had been sent down by Allurist, uh, by Arc- Arcanist Allura Visorin in search of halfling uh, Lady Kima Vord into the mines of Craghammer, beneath which they went. After getting permission from Nostok Gracevine, who owned the Gracevine mines, they fought a number Hulk, fought a Duragar, found, found an Illithid, found some more Duragar, and then found another Illithid named Cloroda, whom they decided to associate themselves with for an extended period of time, which we all deemed to be an allegory to their, own, to their uh, desire to rapidly make bad decisions <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it's an allegory if it's a very very clear demonstration I mean, <laughs> an, an example of their desire to make very bad decisions right. there you go this isn't metaphorical this is real life this is literal all right and i believe that was as quick a wrap-up as i could possibly do yeah because um, they and they invaded the durgar war camp blasted a hole through the roof percy got his arm caught in the bullet's mouth and yeah yes the the the, very, the, the last episode ended uh, yes, as they <clears throat> as they fought a bullet to death uh, after killing after <laughs> straight murdering an illithid um and a bunch of duragar um the general now lies beaten, so the remnants of the Durgar army inside the building have been destroyed, aside from a few stragglers that have laid their weapons down, and the general now lies beaten on his knees before the rest of the party. Uh, the party interrogates the general for word of Lady Kima. After Vax intimidates him, he reveals that they captured her and delivered her to King Murgol, and she is now being tortured in the dungeons of, of Emberhold. So During we're working interi- our way up the power structure here. This is the first <laughs> we've heard of King Murgol, I think, right? Yep. As f- yep. Yes, it is. Okay. Yep. Uh, during the interrogation, Clarota attempts to read his thoughts, causing blood to pour out one of the general's nostrils and ears. After which, he gives up when he gives up what he knows about Kavarn. Kavarn was responsible for forging the alliance for centuries and generations. His people and mine killed and fought. It wasn't until Kavarn came that we decided to work together for a common cause: expansion, unification, domina- dominion over these lands and these mountains. Divided, we were weak petty, greedy. With Kavarn leading us, we have purpose. We had growth. We could take what we like. And I'm but one dwarf. If I fall here, many more will take over where I fell. I have not seen Kavarn personally. What I know of Kavarn, a being of immense intelligence, a creature that needs not walk this earth, one that does not touch the land of which it traverses, which is redundant, by the way. Um, (laughs) I know it sees all. It smiles from a toothy maw and laughs. Laughs in the horrible darkness. Protruding from its forehead, one nasty, gnarled black horn, a terrible source of its dark power. That is what's been rumored. 
So that's a description. That's a physical description of Kavarn, whom he has not seen personally. What do yep. you guys say of that description? I would say, I mean, it's it's poetic in its own way, you know. I mean, and it's an it's an excellent way to seed some clues without, um, you know, necessarily giving uh, the the protagonist a shopping list and sending them to the library, um, you know. So it's I felt like it was it was it was reasonably evocative description, um, and that it definitely served its purpose of you know sort of drawing this conceptual picture for them without actually saying it's a fill in the blank yeah no it's and it's funny because you know i've been playing D for many years and that description looking at it now like rewatching, i think how the hell did i not figure out what he was talking about but i didn't i did i wasn't sure what he was talking about at the time of my first watch of it mm-hmm. and it's because <laughs> Yes, he provides plenty of clues, but he also there there's stuff in there that this is not your Kavarn is not your standard member of his people, right? And those things are 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 sort of their own thing that gives, <clears throat> but give you a clue that there's something very different about this character but also do a nice job of masking exactly what it is so that savvy watchers and savvy players don't necessarily know right off the bat and say, Oh, well, this is clearly what's going to, what's going to happen from here. Spoilers for listeners who haven't uh, seen the following episodes. Uh, Kavarn is an undead narwhal. Yes. Yes, exactly. A narwhal. Um, <laughs> Undead no, fiendish that's, narwhal. That's, Undead fiendish flying narwhal. Yes. And if you believe that, I've got some real estate in Arizona to sell you. Um, <clears throat> it's but, on the coast. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <clears throat> but I actually, um, and I may be one of the minority here, but um, I actually apparently called it. Like uh, I remember listening to this this uh, description. And not knowing what Kavarn, not not having, you know, I was I was watch I was watching much ap- well after this episode aired, but <clears throat> I had, didn't know what was coming next, obviously because I hadn't watched it. What was coming next? But I did like at this description for some reason I thought he said explicitly what it was, uh-huh. um, because when it came around, everyone was surprised. I was confused because like why why are people surprised? I thought we knew this <laughs> didn't, already. Didn't we already say this? Right. Did, mm-hmm. did, yeah. Um, I have a habit of doing that apparently. Mm-hmm. So if I accidentally let slip with information that I think is obvious, I'm sorry because I tend to read a little bit too much into things. Mm-hmm. But well, and we've talked previously before about how the unknown is you know it's a the concept of show don't tell and keeping mm-hmm. things at least a little murky generally lends itself to a much more effective storytelling experience, uh, especially for the audience. You know, so instead of him saying basically. You know, hey, let's play twenty questions here, and if you guys can get it in five, I'll confirm yeah. your theory. You know, it's like, no, you don't want you don't want to do that in a story, especially yeah. when you're establishing something as a a you know arcane but intrinsic <laughs> threat. You don't want to be like, and surprise, it's a king cobra. You know, yeah. it's like, 
It's yeah. a magic cobra. Right. Um, it's so a magic with, king with, cobra. With this with description, and I feel like this description inevitably, I, I feel like this description was pre-planned. I feel like he did write oh, yeah. this. Oh, yeah. A oh, yeah. whole bit of dialogue. There's too much dialogue here for it to have been improved. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> as someone who improvs a lot of dialogue, I know this. Um, that being said, do you think he did write that redundant information in there, or do you think that was an accident slip of the tongue? I think from from a compositional because, perspective, I would say that was probably a slip of the tongue. Because from a writer's perspective, from a literary perspective, mm-hmm. um, I don't think it needs to be reiterated. Uh, a creature that needs not walk this earth, one does not that one does that does not touch the land of which it traverses. I feel like one of the two, both of those is overload, and will start to <clears throat> either draw too fine a point on it or confuse the issue right no i think especially given the order of the clauses i would say from matt's perspective as he's uh you know got these points and elements that he wants to get across to sort of evoke this you know mysterious threat while still seeding it with some actual clues i think he said as soon as he heard the words a creature that needs not walk this earth come out of his mouth his writer's brain immediately went, okay, that's super vague and could be taken about a bajillion different ways. And so he restates the sentence with slightly more specificity because one that does not touch the land of which it traverses, yeah, they mean the exact same thing, but that second one is a little more focused. It's more specific. <clears throat> yeah. Needs not walk this earth can be metaphorical and st- it could mean a demon. It could mean something that is undead and should not be walking this earth anymore. Right. It could mean, mean something that stays yeah. in one place and accomplishes everything by means of telepathy. You know, I mean, like. Exactly. Right. It could be mean Professor X. Yeah. The, the, way, yeah. I, <laughs> the, the, way, the way I read it. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like the original line may have been something like a creature that does not touch the land of which it traverses. And he, he stumbled into need that needs not walk this earth and then corrected back to the original end mm-hmm. of the sentence. Yeah. That's just the way it, it, it seems to me from what I can, from what I've seen of his writing style. Uh, it seems like that may have been the original line and he stumbled on it um, yeah. and then corrected himself. From a literary perspective, again, a uh, little bit of redundant there, but overall, not a not a bad uh, description of a not I a mean, bad vague description. Just a little bit, of, was, little bit loose there at the end. Whether it was intentional or not, it does it does serve a purpose. It it, it reveals a little bit about the character of the person who is sharing this information. <clears throat> now, granted. That's not really relevant about 10 minutes later, but it does tell us a little bit about this character and sort of distinguishes them. Uh, the general distinguishes them from sort of the rank and file that we saw earlier that were mm-hmm. also interrogated, in that he's a little bit more wordy, he's a little bit more cultured, able to speak, I guess, in, in, in a metaphorical language. Um, yeah, no, that 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 that's fair. 
Um, though that does bring up the, the question of how detailed do you want to get on characters that we'll never see again? Um, but he didn't know that we were never going to see him again. For all we know, for all he knew they could have been let go or forced to come along with as a guide. So following that uh, speech, the general also tells them that there is a secret side entrance to Emberhold and the group decides to let him live, but they take all of his weapons and clothes and to quote Percy, we'll be keeping your weapons, your armor, and I believe your pride. And that is the moment right there where I fell in love with Percy. That line. <laughs> it's a good I like Percy up until that point. I thought he was I thought he was a, a good character, but I really wasn't engaged. Percy in the first few episodes is very quiet. Um, yeah. And he, you know, he has his moments. Um the the thinking a couple episodes back to the uh the the other interrogation. And things like that. But that was one of those moments, like, that was one of the first, along with the, the, the billette scene at the end of last episode, was one of the, the early real iconic Percy things. Yeah, so... And, and I like I, it as well, because you're starting to get a look into Percy's wit. Yeah. Because the, the closest... We all know that, you know, Orion games the game as much as he possibly can with Tiberius. Um these are the some of the very few moments where Talos and Jaffe games the game with Percy. And you'll see this again and again, where instead of trying to, to force the DM into allowing them to do a thing or go a certain direction, Percy sits, Talison and Percy will sit back, they'll wait, they'll wait for that perfect phrase, and then say, all right, I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Um... And and I think I've already said that Percy's my favorite character of the group. Yes, you have. Yeah, um, a couple of times. I I feel like that's already been established. But if it yes, wasn't, you Percy and 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 for many reasons, one, you know, I I, I dearly I dearly enjoy Talos and Jaffe, um, as as an actor and as a person. But also, um, uh, Percy is just the type of character I like to play, that loosely psychotic. Um, mm-hmm. but well-intentioned character as, as Jeremy found out, uh, this past weekend, as I, as I drowned, <laughs> as I, as I drowned a motherfucker in sewage, um, <laughs> which is a story for another time. If you're not oh. listening to our, if you're not listening to our Eberron series, please, you're missing out. You really um, should. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, this, like, this is, I grew up, I grew up on, um, Alan Alda and George Carlin and uh-huh. Richard Pryor and uh, um, and you know the blue collar guys uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Foxworthy and this 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 and and while that may seem like it's out of left field if you actually study the work it's not because wit is the 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 the, the, the sort of the key running theme here that's that's their currency yeah. high intelligence and like sort of this high intelligence even and, and and people that don't think jeff foxworthy is witty have never listened to his stuff he is one of the wittiest comedians still working um and uh uh that use of language and that use of dialogue to not only drive home a point, but also drive home a point with flair uh, is, is what I not only what I devoured as a child uh, content wise, but is also what 
drove me to do what I do. Mm-hmm. It is it is like Alan Alda is one of the key reasons why I am an actor. Uh, George Collin is one of the key reasons why I love literature. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy is one of the key reasons why I'm an entertainer as well as being an actor. Um, it's this 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 and 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 through it all, there's this through line of wit, and because of that. I really appreciate Percy as a character. Um, yeah. And this line is, again, it's just sort of a perfect, inc- if you like that line delivered in that manner, then that is the character for you. Um, oh, yeah. 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 No, because Percy is Nikola Tesla with a heavy helping of Oscar Wilde, to yes. be honest. In, <laughs> that in my, is in, such a in, great In my opinion. In my yes. opinion. That's Holy shit. Percy. That is- um and yeah no it's it's one of the reasons a little, little less neurotic than tesla was but yes right yeah but just still you know and that's one of the reasons he's one of my favorite characters as well you know because he's he's just got this acerbic little tweak to his dialogue that crops up again and again and just makes him wildly entertaining to watch with just a touch of count of mine <laughs> uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a little bit but, of that um so and to punctuate that sentence, uh, Vax slices the general's belt, causing it to fall. Um, but his armor keeps his pants up. Um, the general doesn't like this idea and tries to leave with his warhammer, which Grog has already earmarked for himself. Uh, the general vanishes from sight briefly and reappears near the front door. Uh, Vax and Grog throw their weapons at him. Clarota walks up to the general, holds his head with his tentacles, and eats the general's brain, uh, thereby completely nulling the fact that they were going to let him live. And this um, is this is one of the moments that I'm not a big fan of in this episode. Not necessarily what this happened. This moment too. This moment, yeah, no, I, I think I'm coming with you on this. What one, happened is fine. It was the party's reaction. Exactly. Is so dis- incongruous with with yeah, how a- they've been so far. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay for them to have a, a callousness towards the enemy. Um, because the, that's that's what these Durgar are. They are they've proven themselves mm-hmm. that they are absolutely terrible people. Um, you know they they they've assumedly got Kima. There's there's plenty of reason to dislike them, but it's not even that they're callous or even ambivalent. They actually take the time to compliment Clarota and tell them how amazing that was and it's such a weird moment and this especially is especially after one of those especially after the last not last yeah no the last episode yeah. um no the one before last where they were horrified at the concept of something drilling into the brains of goblins and sucking out their and suck, growing into the skulls of goblins and sucking out their brains yeah mm-hmm. Like no, really. two episodes like, ago, they were horrified at this, and then now they're like, "Oh no, that's fine. It's cool. He's an ally." Right. And that's a little bit of the. That's a little bit of the, uh, the role playing table play kind of mentality, where you're yeah, likely yeah. to make jokes like that, where mm-hmm. you wouldn't if you were in a more formalized narrative arc. Right, but well, and it's yeah. still it's a really it's a really strange moment, and I didn't even I legitimately didn't even remember it until I rewatched it today. <clears throat> and mind you, I've seen this episode probably two or three times before today, mm. yeah. and I keep forgetting about it because it's so weird. 
Yeah, yeah because it's, so it's like because this is you know from from a stereotypical storytelling perspective, you know we've come across this new ally. Uh, we're a little unsure about him, um, but we're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because we're in over our heads and we've got you know we need all the help we can get more or less. Uh, we go into our first combat with this ally who acquits themselves fairly well, and then. <clears throat> eats the prisoner that we had just finished interrogating right then is your classic Q horror oh yep. god what have we done this would have this is a perfect moment for the characters to start questioning themselves we're or, in a new place what what why have we made the choices we are are we sh- still sure these are the right choices you know and it cuz it wasn't like he or, did if get, you want to or if you want to go for the comedy bit this was right. still the perfect place for them to go ah oh, um table manners right like, right. like there's there's a hundred there's, there's there's three or four different ways they could have gone with this but blase acceptance doesn't seem like it's the correct one not even yeah. blase acceptance but like active like oh my god that was so cool yeah right. like approval like, yes what yeah yeah you know yeah it's <clears throat> it's, it's like at that point that's a for me, anyway, that's a that's a that's a problem in character consistency, and I think you hit it on the head there, Jeremy. That you know, yeah, this is this is just isn't in keeping with their previous and, conduct. Now, if they had all been Suicide Squad uh, their entire way down, this right. might have fit it. But but we don't have the sort of background on this group to justify that sort of response to that kind of callous, yeah. predatory activity and that's not saying that that kind of party couldn't be fun like i i think uh, i think like a a whole bunch of like a chaotic evil party of people just just so happening to be doing the right thing Mm -hmm. uh but along the way you know debauchering and and degrading and depraving everything in sight would be hilarious and would also be a really interesting sort of dissection of that classic adventure story yeah you're talking about you're talking to somebody who has played extended Sabbat games. Yeah. And who has who vampire and 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 demon <clears throat> in particular from World of Darkness are two of my favorite games, period. Those are games where, yeah, you're protagonist, but I would love to play you're not demon. good guys. <laughs> but you're, you're, we should fucking we should, monsters. Yeah. We should get a we should get a demon game going. It's not oh, to sidetrack, oh, but we should listeners, listeners, look forward to sometime <laughs> in the year twenty seventeen. Final Show <laughs> Films presents Demon. Uh we'll we'll figure out we'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, don't tease me. <laughs> who said anything about teasing? Oh my god, yes. Anyways. Uh, not that we've promised so, yeah. that to all no, That was the, that was the that was the first highlighted line on my my notes for this episode as well. Yeah. Was you all know right. yeah, Clarota skull sucks the skull sucks the general to great approval. Large question mark. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Um, which you know again, it's like, isn't bad for the for uh, as a role playing game. Like it's not no, a it's not a, but, a slam on the players or anything. Right. But, but we're looking the, at this yes, from a narrative looking perspective. At, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Char- weird character moment. Yep. <laughs> Weird character moment, not the last either. This, this is um, this is the moment where the 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 series showrunner was having a really bad day. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And no editor told him, "Um, by the way, you'll never <laughs> believe what came through on the copy." Uh, <clears throat> you have to see it to believe it. Anyways. Right. Now, uh, a cu- a couple details 
backtracking though. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. You know, the 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 general has um, confessed that they do have Kima and that she's being held yeah. prisoner and probably currently being tortured. Might be a broken mess of an individual by the time they eventually, if they are able to catch up. Yeah, you no, know, no, so, we 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 hit, we right. hit that mm-hmm. right. Um, so with that aspect in mind, yeah, we're not we're. It's it's he's not a completely innocent, you know, no, es- no, and, and this isn't this isn't even like he was trying to escape like that's cause mm-hmm. enough like he could he could go and warn the rest of the Durgar and right. bring reinforcements. Yeah, I know there, there's justification for killing him. It's the way in which he was killed that yes. was then applauded. It was mm-hmm. is what we're taking issue with, yeah. not the killing yeah. itself. Right. Just um, for clarity for the listeners. <clears throat> yeah. No, no, that's fine. Um, no, no, it, it was it was. Much more the method, not the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, after his meal, uh, Clarota looks a little younger, a little stronger, and a little more dangerous. Uh, residual memories from the general allow Clarota to declare that he spoke the truth about the path into the Emberhold. Uh, they loot his body, getting the Firebrand Warhammer and his blackened plate armor, which I don't think anyone ever uses. Um, yeah, they. I think they gave it to – they said they were giving it to Pike, I thought. I don't think Pike ever used it. Okay. We'll have to look into it. I don't. I don't remember. She might have. I just don't remember. We can find out. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, to be uh, fair, we see Pike so sporadically that it's very yeah. possible she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Grog harvested uh, the armor off the bullet. Yes. Uh, so which we definitely see later. Bells and horns sound off in the war camp. Vex uses the dust of tracelessness and sprinkles it around the room as they prepare to leave. Uh, Keyleth casts past what? Wait, Gato. Keyleth mm-hmm. cast yeah, past without a trace. Keyleth yes. Does. Yep. Uh, which is, druids, I, yo. Yeah, druids. Uh, turns into an eagle and scoops up the gnomes. Uh, which is odd if you... From a, from a, from, again, looking at it from a literary perspective, passing without a trace while you're flying away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, if you look into the spell description and things like that, you know... No, no, no you, the spell right. makes sense. It's just, it's right. just, again, looking at it strictly from a literary perspective. Weird spell right. mechanics. <laughs> yeah. But no, but, I, but even from a literary perspective, it would all depend on how you describe the spell up to that point well, yeah, I and how you describe... It. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you wouldn't name it, right. Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be like, I'm casting Pass Without a Trace. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like... Yeah, no. Well, yeah, and the whole naming of spells things is only appropriate in very specific settings anyway. Oh, yeah. Harry Harry Potter I, gets away with it for I just, obvious I just, reasons, you know? I but, just yeah. really wanted to say, pass without a trace, and then fly away as an eagle, because <laughs> right. that's a funny sentence to me. Yes, yes it is. Um, they all take off, flying from the barracks. 30 Duragar are now rushing towards it. They are spotted, regardless of their passing without a trace. <laughs> and a stream of javelins are fired up at them, hitting Grog, Keyleth, and Percy. Tiberius throws a fireball down, taking out 12 of the Duragar. Hey, make it <clears throat> Minion battle. As they crest over the war camp, they can see more and more Durgar gathering. Bells are going off. Horns are blowing hard. A bunch of them are running over to the siege equipment, specifically the larger ballistae. Uh, Vax steals the, steers the carpet of flying to a tunnel on the far side of the camp against Vex's objections over leaving Trinket behind. Uh, as the carpet circles around, another volley of javelins hits Grog, Keyleth, and Percy. Keyleth loses her eagle form, and she, Scanlan, and Pike begin to fall. Vax- and everybody goes ape shit. Yeah, everyone always goes apeshit whenever anything wrong happens. This is the most panicky crowd of players ever. Yep. Um, it's like any any small thing that happens, 
everyone panics, which I, it's fun, which is fun. In oh, a certain, yeah, no, it's huge. It's hugely entertaining. It's yeah, an, it, it, carry it's on very, with the narrative, very but yeah. Engaging. yeah, it's very engaging because, because, you know, the, yeah, it's, and I would say it's a fairly decent aspect of art imitating life, you know, and yeah. obviously this is a live performance by actual people. So it kind of is, mm-hmm. um, but you know, yeah, Keyleth says, you know, basically admits, yep, I'm no longer an eagle. Matt says, all right, you guys are falling. And everybody immediately goes into their own individual problem solve mode without any consequence or idea of yep. how or whether any of their ideas are going to work. And it's yep. it's very, very reminiscent of that whole, you know, no battle plan ever survives first contact with the enemy concept. You it's know? true. All right, uh, so Vax swoops the carpet underneath them, catching them, but causes Tiberius to lose concentration on the flying spell he cast on Grog, who now begins the plummet. One, then two. Uh, the flying yep. carpet is bearing too much weight and careens out of control. And Tiberius there goes the dominoes. Out- yeah. Tiberius jumps off the carpet to catch Grog, but ends up tumbling uncontrollably. He manages to cast Featherfall on himself, but Grog hits the ground. Vax skims the carpet over the top of a nearby building, lessening the impact slightly, toppling the occupants. The fall knocks Percy and Scanlan unconscious. And you still hear the bells and the horns blowing in the distance. Vox Machina managed to fly over the main part of the camp, but the Durgar will reach them shortly. Vox Machina briefly take care of the wounded and unconscious before running back towards the back of the camp, through the buildings to the main tunnel. They make it into the tunnel before hearing bolts from the ballista hitting the walls above them. Keyleth prepares to cast Wall of Stone at the entrance, but before that, before she does that, they see Clarota levitating towards the tunnel, gets shot by two ballista bolts. As he begins to falter, Tiberius casts Glacial Blast beneath him, and Clarota slides down into the tunnel, which is an uh, interesting use of uh, alternative use for combat spells, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's, uh, well, I'm going to get into it a little bit later, but uh, this is this is one of the episodes I, I appreciate Tiberius more because of a couple of things that he does in combat. Like mm-hmm. as a, as a person who typically mains a sorcerer in a D and D campaign, um, I, I really do enjoy when characters are allowed to use spells that have real world effects for those real world effects, as opposed to for the damage they can, they cause. Right. Which um, is, I would say absolutely vital if you're going to be telling things from a story-based narrative perspective mm-hmm. yes. especially um you know because yeah if it's if it's just a war game everybody's just going to be focused on war the whole time so the fact that you can do all this other stuff might not be first well, and foremost in the, I, in a player's mind but if you're telling a narrative you have to look at it and say all right these characters that I'm creating can do these things why wouldn't they default to doing these well, things they can do when confronted with complicated situations? And I'm going to sidetrack here because I wanted to talk about something at this point. Um, okay. it, there are many, many places in other forms of narrative where uh, characters who have abilities forget their abilities entirely when the plot doesn't need them to have be mm-hmm. fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best example I can ever think of for this is, uh, is Mass Effect. Uh, specifically, Mass Effect 3. Um, in Mass Effect 3, uh, there is a – spoilers for Mass Effect 3. Um, there's a mission where you and your uh, – where, where Commander Shepard uh, goes to assist an ally from Mass Effect 2, Samara, who is an Asari Justicar. Um, Asari, and uh, basically, Samara is an alien who uses uh, uh, psychic powers to, to manipulate space-time to her very whim. Um, 
And your shepherd can also be a similar type of person who has these psychic powers and thus can manipulate space and t- space time to their very whim. In the middle of this mission, uh, there's a cutscene where Samara jumps off a high balcony and uses her power to levitate slowly to the ground. My shepherd always has those same powers, but cannot do the same thing. <laughs> That's because Samara cases, is about a thousand years older than you are, dude. In some cases, my shepherd is provably more powerful because there is mathematics to back this up. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, like my shepherd might have the same power, but will do X amount more damage with it, provably being more powerful than Samara, but mm-hmm. cannot do the simple yep. thing of jumping off and slowing themselves down. Because well, goes- the writers didn't think – well, not because they didn't think about that. They obviously thought about it with Samara, but because they had to write they had to write to the lowest common denominator, which was no power shepherd. Um, and, and that goes it, back to what we were talking about last yeah. week where, where people will write themselves into the corner regarding either villains or, or power creep for their, for <clears throat> their protagonists or some really cool magical item that they find or, yeah. or something like that. It's like, uh-huh. you know, we, we've, we've shown that this is a thing that's possible to do, but we couldn't write a separate scenario for the shepherds that could do it. And that happens that, – that, that similar of a thing happens elsewhere where, you know, in, in other games where I've got this magic I could use, but I'm not going to use it because I forgot about it. Yep. Um, and so I like that narratively, going back to, to, to Vox Machina, I like that glacial blast is being used as a slide rather than mm-hmm. attack only ever as an attack. Yes. It avoids the it avoids the uh <laughs> the moment that happens at least once or twice in any X-Men film. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. happens yeah. at least once or twice every yeah. episode in Heroes after episode season one. Exactly. Um so back to the narrative. Yes. Uh Unless you guys had anything you wanted to add to that. Oh, well, just no, that, not, you know, um, yeah, no, as as this is happening, this is twice so far that the the party has, from, from a narrative perspective, has forgotten Clarota exists. Um, <laughs> because we, we literally ended the last episode with Clarota having said, capture the general so that I can read his mind and interrogate him, basically. Um, and then we start this episode, hey, let's everybody but Clarota start out interrogating the general. Um, well, now, no, Clarota, of course, Clarota did, Clarota Clarota did, did eventually, right. Well, and that, that kind of comes into my point, um, which is that Matt does a great job as the story runner of bringing that back around. He doesn't yep. let those holes ever stand for too long. Once the the characters have had their, you know, first few steps into the scene, he will interject and say, oh, guess who's still there with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what he's doing here. They've had their, you know, fantastic little shit. We need to airlift ourselves out of Saigon, um, you know, and get out of this Durgar war camp. And then it's they're almost finished. And he's like, oh, don't forget. <laughs> and here comes Clarota catching ballista bolts with his back. You know, right. <laughs> right. Uh, so. Which is uh, what happens when you forget the NPC. Yep. <laughs> it does. Well, you know, depending on the NPC. But. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so. Keyleth uh, raises her hands and the blackened stonework of the tunnel shakes for a second. Then a giant thick wall of natural rock closes off the tunnel behind them. 
Just on the other side of the stone wall, javelins and other things are being shot into the stone wall, but it's keeping the Durgar at bay, which is not strictly how that spell works, but we'll go in with it. Um, the tunnel continues into a passage that they haven't seen yet. Grog sprinkles the dust of traitlessness behind them like a flower girl. Uh, Keyleth asks Grog if he has any ale, saying, I think I need a drink. Uh, after healing Clarota, the group pushes on down the tunnel until they enter another cavern uh, within what looks like an extension of the war camp. Fortunately, this section looks like it's been abandoned. Vex and Keyleth investigate the tunnel to determine which of the two they should continue down. After deciding the left one is the most likely, Grog charges ahead. The other's giving chase. Uh, and to which Liam O'Brien, out of character, uh, <laughs> stated, it's like having Goofy as a party member. Yep. <laughs> durb, durb, durb. Oh, yuck, yuck. Um, the tunnel continues in a slow decline and, and curves to the left. 20 minutes, 20 minutes down, there is a small alcove to the right where they find another abandoned camp of four tents and another seal of Bahamut. Looking at the dirt on the ground, there seems to have been a serious struggle. Tiberius seals the tunnel behind them with pillars as they take refuge in the alcove for the night. Vax and Grog, while on watch, begin to hear many footsteps from above. Vax wakes up Vax and they quietly wait for the, foot to, for the footsteps to pass. And they take a break. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so at this point, we've kind of hit a lull in the plot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the we've we've had our little bit. We've had our our rising action. We've had our our decline, and here here we are at our denouement. Um, and Matt uses that very well, I think, especially with the reemphasis on um, constantly reminding the the protagonists and by extension, the audience, what they're here for that extra Sila Bahamut, you know, the, the struggle, you know, he's, he's constantly doing these callbacks to you are following in the footsteps of somebody else who has already been down here and had their own struggles. And your job is to find them and help them. And I feel like he's been doing that very effectively um, with just these, these excellent little atmospheric descriptions and remnants and, you know, residual clues left behind in Kima's wake. Now, the question I have uh-huh. is what, how many people was Kima traveling with? Near as we know by herself. Yep. Then why in every campsite, now this one I understand because she's likely being taken somewhere, but in mm-hmm. the first campsite that we found with her marking in it, it was obviously a campsite for more than one person. Because she was using somebody else's campsite, old yep. campsite. That was specifically uh, said. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think it's been established that you know there are I these sort that. of established campsites, and she's just squatting when she gets there okay like like yeah. like a spel- like spelunkers uh, uh check-in locations and yeah kind of like okay. that except that all of these belong to people who are trying to kill her I yeah mean, yeah right so so right. if you were going spelunking and all the other cavers were also trying to kill you then it would be uh, almost exactly if like you were that. spelunking that's, during the descent that's yeah i mean yeah, like that's, that that's a i mean when uh, apparently neither of you have ever gone spelunking because when you apparently are going spelunking, <laughs> all other gamers are trying to kill you. It's, oh, okay. it's like it's like the it's like the Hunger Games down there, huh? It pretty well, uh, kind of. Uh, it's it's more of a it's more of a glory and honor thing than yeah, okay. uh, than food, but okay. Um, all right, well. It's more like Vikings. Yeah. Okay. Vikings in caves with Vikings. A lot of mud. Okay. Anyways, good to know. We get back from the break. 
After their unrestful rest, Pike, with the help of Grog, break them out of their hiding place, and they continue down stealthily. The air begins to warm. The smell of, uh, is a combination of still groundwater mixed with sulfur, and we get the following lovely exchange of dialogue. Vax smells like Grog. Travis, in Grog's voice, I would like to trip Vax. Grog, suck it, elf. Vax, what goes around comes around, baby. And then Vax face plants into the stone ground. Grog, what happened? Did you not stealth past that little pebble? Vax, it's all right. When the Elitha General is bearing down on your walnut-sized brain, I may be there, I may not. Pike, hey, don't be rude to him. Vex, you guys, these caverns are getting to us. Grog, I'm so happy right now. Um, the so comedic really, sides are always fantastic. Yes, and it was yeah. a perfect way to sort of pick pick back up after the break mm-hmm. because we had just had we had you know this whole episode starts off with uh, the interrogation and the character debate that's going on there goes into this really cinematic action scene that sort of picks stuff up and it had the before the break it had ended on this sort of okay we can take a breath and relax moment yeah. so this sort of picks up the tone again nicely yep. mm-hmm. uh, Clarota shuffles alongside them as they walk and Keyleth asks Pike what she saw in her vision Pike explains that she visited a shrine of Serenray because she had a feeling that she had been here uh, and she said that she saw what they've been going through already and what the general was talking about. Uh, she saw that there was a single twisted horn of blackened soul matter. It was a point of concentrated evil and was so strong that she couldn't stay in the vision because she could feel that it was taking over. So it pulled her So uh, it pulled her out of the dream. Uh, she had some other visions, kind of went past and then got this thing and... Uh, uh, basically, uh, based on her vision, was able to lead them in the correct direction to go. Uh, it, she described her visions uh, that going past the jagged onyx-colored on, on fortress, framed in molten rock, past a field of broken glass and bone, and uh, talking about a, ca- a cavern of blue crystal where a fungal fortress entwined an ancient city of marble and jade. To which yeah, that, is responds, that, is a, that is a typo. It is a fungal forest. Fungal yes. forest. <laughs> yes. Forest. I don't know where the T came from. And that was Actually, somebody no, I know where the I'm, I'm positive. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. That is that is a type of fungal forest. I was confused for a second, and then you corrected it. Um, to which Clarota responds, "That's where the colony resides, uh, and it's also where the temple that Kavarn holds the Elder Brain is is at." Um, to which Vax responds, "He sounds like a real fun guy." <sighs> and and, uh, and to which get- Clarota responds. There will be none of that in, pre- in my presence. I hate puns. I hate puns. And I actually, puns. and actually, I think he even took a little bit of damage from that too. Yes, yeah. he he voluntarily took his one point of one hit point of damage. I think. Yes. As a mental slap, <laughs> and Clarota yeah. instantly gains my sympathy a little bit. For hating puns. <laughs> but you know, and and I love this entire sequence because we're literally just spending a few minutes taking our time learning about these characters you know i mean you you get the the vax grog rivalry um which crops up every once in a while um and it's fantastic uh we have pike's connection with the divine um because out of all of them as far as i can recall pike is really the only one that gets visions very much 
Yeah. Um, at least up until this point and for quite some time <clears throat> going forward. Um, you know, it's Matt doesn't go in for the whole prophetic dreams uh shtick nearly as much as I do. Um so yeah. There's there but it's but it's a great little piece of the character of, you know, yeah, Pike is kind of their seer in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. And it did some nice stuff in terms of again sort of teasing what's coming coming up, really selling mm-hmm. the significance of after the horn was introduced <clears throat> in the initial description of Kavarn, um really selling the significance of that and sort of setting it up Setting it as its own thing, almost. Yeah. As this big, glowing weak point. Strong also, point. also, I have to say, um, Mercer seems to have some sort of affection with, or uh, sort of a, uh, um, fixation on uh, foreign objects being forged into horns and affixed to people. Yeah. This is a it's a it's a it's a it's a recurring trend that we'll see over the course of Critical Role. Um, so this is this is foreign object turned into horn number one, uh, <laughs> of which we will keep a running tally. I'm confused uh, now. Don't worry, it'll come out later. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh, anyways, <laughs> they begin to encounter little orange glowing trickles coming down from the ceiling as large clusters of uh, of pools of molten rock. Uh, they are. They hear footsteps further down the tunnel, and Vax and Vex scout ahead and discover two giant ogres dragging a cart. The twins set a trap by holding a rope across the tunnel, and the lead creature trips over it. Which I was surprised this worked. Yeah, because when you've got two half elves, both of whom weigh probably anywhere from 120 to 150 tops, and you've got a pair of at least half ton ogres apiece, I feel like you might need to. Do a little more than just a rope across the old ankles there. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, it worked because, to be honest, it worked because it allowed things to play out the way that it played out. Right. It was a little uh, Ewoks Moon of Endor for yeah. me. Yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, it's <laughs> like physically it, does, it, it works about as well as your average Michael Bay physics film works or like mm-hmm. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um but it was a fun moment that also, again, allowed things to play out the way that they played out and sort of reveal, well, other things also worked to reveal what was in the cart, but yeah, mm-hmm. play towards saying, that. I'm just saying it would have been hilarious if the, the ogre had just kicked forward and the twins got taken for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been um, funny too. And that would have also worked. But uh, they called for Grog. Grog runs into the fight. Vax jumps onto the back of one of the ogres, slashing and pulling open its flesh, eviscerating it. Vax fires the explosive arrow at the second ogre, arcs slightly and smacks the side of its chest. The explosion rocks the vicinity, toppling the cart. A glass container that was in the back of the cart shatters. And then Tiberius says, This is Poppycock. Tiberius blasts the ogre with three scorching rays. At each, as each explosion hits, its flesh ripples from the impact and exposes bone. It gives out a horrible roar. The cart shifts and something amorphous and liquid emerges. Scanlan inspires Grog and casts invisibility on himself. Vex fires a lightning arrow at the black ooze and it splits. Vax running runs up. Now, we want to stop there for a second and walk backwards. Yep. Um, 
I was just going to let you run for a bit, but go ahead. Some black oozes. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. We are narrating this from a story perspective. Do not get your monster manual out. No, Correct. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I just have a question. Okay. Black oozes. Uh-huh. When they're just in ooze form, what do they look like? Yellowish. Yeah, right. Greasy. Right. They look like grease. Sort of a a congealed oil slick almost. Yeah, like oil. Yeah. What does lightning do? (laughs) (laughs) But it is not oil. But what does lightning do when it hits oil? Well, consider. I mean, I've, you're well. You're you're talking about a. I want to say non-polar molecule. Um, no, because I'm 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 trying to think about no. conductivity of right. oil. Yes. Right. Um, this is your science moment with critical right. thinking. Yes. <laughs> and just because something looks like oil doesn't mean no, it but. is oil, right? Oils can conduct an electric current. And just because um, something looks like oil doesn't mean it is oil, but at the same time, when a duck looks like a duck, you assume it's a duck. Until <laughs> well, and lies. also, this is but, not Percy who fires lightning into it. It's true. It's it, is, it is magic it's oil. True. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah. Typically, just, just, just to shortcut it, typically when lightning or some other high-energy substance hits oil, it catches on fire. <laughs> Even if you don't know what a and obviously they don't know what a black ooze is at this point. Right. It looks like oil. In your brain, Vex is a ranger. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not talking about Percy who's a scientist. Vex is a ranger, and a ranger has at least once experienced a forest fire. Especially because forest is one of her favorite terrains. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Underdark so is you the other. Know, Underdark is the other. So she, of all the people, should know to be cautious when throwing random magical effects at what appears to be grease or oil. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. This is just from a, a literary perspective. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, if I was looking at it, if I was playing Vex at that moment, and not knowing what black oozes were. Even thinking that it might catch on fire. Now, granted, I play Quinn, so this may not be the best the best example of someone being cautious. Um, <laughs> I would do it because if it's, a, if it's something that is sentient and it's part of the bad guys, wouldn't I want it to be on fire? But you don't know what it is yet. No, I don't. But I know that it's coming out of a box that's being carried by the bad guys. So out of a box that you you, out of a broken glass container, it's seeping and oozing. Like it's not. I don't know. At this point, has it actually indicated that it was a living creature yet? Yes, it has. Because it shattered and then it crawled out of the. 
wreckage okay. of the cart and glass. It was made clear just... that it was a that it okay, was okay. some kind of creature. I'm just saying yeah. it seemed very, very, very meta. Kinda, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I might have shot an arrow at it. It's like, what is that thing? But until I know that it's not going to catch on fire and light everybody else in the vicinity on fire, I wouldn't use fire or <laughs> lightning. Uh, but anyways. Well, it's immune uh, to lightning, so yeah. she made the right call? Oh, wait, no. No. <laughs> now uh, it's Jack's turn. Vex fires a lightning arrow at the black ooze and it splits. Uh, like I said, we're looking at a different area perspective. We don't know what a black ooze is either, theoretically. Right. Vax. Oh yeah, no. my 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 problems with this fight have not started quite yet. Okay. Vax runs up the remaining ogre's back and plunges the daggers into him. The ogre's jaw goes slack as it tumbles forward, lifeless. Percy shoots ice at the ooze and it quivers, but the ice gets absorbed. He shoots again, the form quivers, but continues to slither forward. Keyleth lashes out the lashes and ooze with her thorn whip and pulls it to the edge of a pool of lava. Getting that fire thought going on. Pike casts Insect Plague over the two oozes. Why is the cleric casting Insect Plague? That, like, thematically, that's confusing. That's a, that's a Pathfinder holdover, I think. I, no, no, I, I, it is, but, like, thematically, just yes. a cleric of life casting a plague seems weird. Well, I don't well, know. And that's, that's name. That, again, right. that's spell name. Well, yeah, that's, I, I know. That's I spell know. name, right. And also, I would say, depending, because we haven't really gotten a lot of background on established religion at this point. I mean, when you right. think of, maybe it's my up, upbringing and background, but when I hear the word plague, I think of two things. I think of <laughs> and either, divine retribution. Right, right. I either think of the Black Death in Europe, or I think, let my people go. You know, right. which was ten pretty nasty plagues, which came pretty much from the biggest, yeah, baddest celestial asshole that's ever right. Right. Yeah, so, but I'm I'm pretty certain Moses was a druid. Uh, so. Of which, <laughs> of which, plague of locusts was definitely one of them. No, it's true. That's true. That is absolutely. <laughs> I'm I am ninety nine percent sure that's why it's a cleric spell. Right. No, I'm certain. I'm certain. It's just it's just one of those interesting right. things right. to me. But yeah, no, and and so yeah, so it. I feel like it's one of those things where if it's done well, it could be this like co- sort of nifty little. Hey, look behind the curtain. See, oh, they're that type of clerics in see, this when, setting. When I, when but I when see, it's just dropped without any background whatsoever, it kind of gives you a jolt. Yeah. Yeah. And when I when I think insect plague, I think like I am death harbinger of all you know like right. You're I thinking think like four swarms horsemen, of, right? Like yeah. I think I think like insects also a religious swarming. Reference. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. I'm thinking like <laughs> in, insects coming out from underneath a cloak of an undead creature. Not right. Ray can have somebody. a dark side too, yo. Yeah, I mean, like, what is what is one of the primary after effects, secondary effects of war? Death. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, Grog activates his firebrand hammer, lighting up the cavern, and charges the ooze, not in the lava, leaping over the bodies of the dead ogres. He smacks the ooze twice, and it screeches, splashes Vicar, hit Grog, and burn his torso. The ooze flanks Grog and hit him. And at this point, we see that it's at this point we see that it's not. Uh, not flammable, therefore I would at this point be more uh, willing to throw magic at it. 
Uh, Clarota casts Lightning Bolt, apparently not seeing what happened when Vex shot it with her Lightning Arrow. The <laughs> use divides again. Now, at this point, I do have a problem, I thematically don't. and narratively, because Clarota is a denizen of the Underdark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not only is Clarota a denizen of the Underdark, uh, he's an Lithid. Of all the people in this party that would know what a news is, Clarota is the one to know. Yep. So, and this is where my problems start with this fight. Continue. All right. Aside from the fact that, like I've said before, in fact, this very evening, there is a special place in hell for people who do not know how to fight an ooze because there's just so many ways you can fuck up yourself and the entire rest of the people that you are trying to work with. Because oozes don't get weaker just because you divide them. In fact, they kind of get stronger because then you've got way more numbers of incoming attacks every round of combat. All that aside, Clarota is a native. He should know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like half the reason that they've got him here is because he's a native and he can help. And this is his home turf and he should know better. Vax uh, doesn't know how this is going, but everybody sees Grog taking a shit ton of damage because he closes to melee. So, already everybody should be aware, don't get up close to these things. Um, Vex, maybe she's never fought one of these oozes before, but Lightning apparently, A, doesn't hurt it, B, makes twice as many of them. So, yeah, it's already been established. There's there's enough information already in place, even from just a story perspective, that you don't need more, more characters making the exact same mistake. If you yeah, want to – if you want it, – right. It's, re, it's gotten redundant at this point. If there's more mistakes to make, have, the, have them – sure, have them make those other mistakes so that the audience gets the full scope of what's going on here. Yeah. But yeah, from, from both a mechanical and a story perspective, this is just a shit show for no reason. So I'm going to offer a defense here. Okay, let's hear it. Um, and for those who are listening, if you are watching the – as you watch continuing – you know watch the episode for the first time and listen to this, There, there's no way for me not to reveal some spoilers while I offer this defense. Um, which is whether that was an, un- whether that was an accident by Colorado. So, mm-hmm. really quick, just so, it's, just so it's clear, spoilers? Yes. Spoilers that's what are I was, imminent. That's what I was okay. trying to say if I wasn't clear okay. by that. Right. Spoilers mm-hmm. now... Uh, jump ahead to like I'll try 15 to keep seconds. It like a, yeah, I'll try to keep right. it like a couple of... Uh, I will let you know when seconds. they stop. So, at this point, I don't think that it's a smart tactical move by Clarota, but there is a real question as to whether he was trying to weaken the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the 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 only hole in that defense right now is weakening the party means he dies now, which is exactly why I say it might have been might not whether it was a tactical move or not or a smart tactical move or not is one thing. 
I don't, I have always been of the opinion that it was an intentional thing. And in fact, that moment was my first real going from, okay, maybe there's something, maybe, you know, okay, maybe we can trust this guy because he's the outsider and he's supposed to be a bad guy, but he's being portrayed as a good guy too. Wait a minute. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. I always viewed it as intentional. For all of the same reasons that, that that we've mentioned, Clarota had other spells. Yeah, Matt had to have chosen that one specifically for a reason, unless there's somewhere where he said that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anywhere that he confirmed it as an accident, but it, 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 I feel like it could also be a a as a GM, you just get sort of like tunnel vision. And um, I feel like it may be a thing where I, not thinking about the fact that Clarota would know this is a bad spell mm-hmm. so much as it is Clarota is an NPC that has the spell on hand as a handy damaging spell and didn't see what happened with Fax's lightning arrow. So he's going to try it and then discover that it doesn't work. I mean, that's yeah. entirely possible. That was mm-hmm. just the way that I always read it. Yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. But, even if, but even if this were Clarota's first sort of push to weaken the party... It's he still could have done it so many better and different and less incompetent and, ways. And it's also a futile uh, attempt to yes. weaken the party mm-hmm. because they're just going to rest afterwards. Yeah. Well, no, in that like if you if you don't if like, you if you don't weaken the party enough to kill them, at which point you die too because you're with them, then it's futile because well, you yes, know they can is, rest. That's the point where. Because let's be honest, if 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 the NPC does something that gets the entire party killed, that's not just bad. That that's not just that's bad DMing. Yeah, there's no way to get around. That's bad DMing. I mean, however, you are that could be good DMing. If you have Clarota do that in a way that if the players are paying attention, give them reason to distrust him. That smart foreshadowing. Yes. Certainly That's could how be. I always viewed it. Certainly it could be. Uh, I just mm-hmm. like what well, we're looking at is from a narrative perspective, not correct. A and from a narrative perspective, I think that it's smart. For, I, I think that it worked as a foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. That's my defense. Spoilers. Done, okay. I think. All right. Uh, spoilers cool. over. We'll just say spoilers over now. Um, anyways. Uh, so yeah, Clover cast lightning bolt and divides the use again. Vax hears a pair of click clacking sounds on the ceiling and sees two large creatures clinging to the ceiling, scurrying across before both leap down on the ceiling. One takes a swing at Pike and hits. Uh, what are these creatures? Hook horrors. Hook horrors. That's right. Hook horrors. Bird head, um, crab body, more or less. <laughs> crab bird. <laughs> crab bird. This is one of the crab sounds like bird. (laughs) This is one of those. This is one of those D and D monsters where you know someone that was high when they came up with the idea. Oh yeah. Either that, Uh, or it's just write a card with every type of animal on it. Put them in a hat. Pull out two. (laughs) That's gonna. That's how the owlbear got created. I mean, come on, guys. It was the seventies. It was a weird time. No, no, no. We know how the owlbear created. We know how the owlbear got created. A mage wanted to see an owl and a bear have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, one takes one takes a swing of pike and hits. The other swings and misses. Tiberius, uh, but misses Tiberius. Sorry. Um, with a funky grin, 
I'm not sure why that's the descriptor used here. Because Tiberius, because Tiberius specifically says, I give him a funky grin. Aha. Uh-huh. Tiberius picks up the creature next to him with, te- with, with telekinesis and throws it into the lava pool. It sizzles and shrieks and pains and it sinks in the pool. Tiberius blasts the other with glacial blast. He misses the creature, but forms a blast into, the sp- into a spike jutting from the cavern wall. Scanlan, worried that Pike is in danger, inspires her. He then attempts to dominate the monster near her and succeeds. Vex shoots an arrow at the creature in the lava, which seemed unnecessary. Um, Vax runs and jumps over the lava pool. As he jumps over the lava pool, the creature there claws at him. Again, unnecessary dangers, but Vax is that kind of a character, which so makes sense to me. Um, Once he lands, he slashes at the ooze with his daggers, and their acid splashes his arms. Uh, Percy takes two shots at the little oozes. Uh, Keyleth shapes into an eagle and flies behind the uses and then returns to human form and casts Thunder Wave, which I think uh, Drew, does Does her particular circle Druid allow them to be shaped as a bonus action? Yes. Yes. Twice? Yep. Yes. Okay. Twice per it, short rest. Well, I mean... Long rest. Twice in one turn. Well, dropping it is always a free action. Oh, is it? Okay. All yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and cast Thunder Wave. Um, Pike sp- uh, Pike sprints to Grog and casts Cure. Let me just say, at, as of this point, despite her ensuing reputation, um, Keyleth has been extremely tactically sharp this uh-huh. this entire fight. Using Thunderwave to try to knock the oozes into the fight into, right, the, into yeah. the lava is a good Thor- tactical Thor- decision to try and drag him into it. Yeah, no, she's yeah, no, she's Keyleth been doing has great. Keyleth has been. Oh, look, lava. A thing that destroys everything. Let's get right. them into right. it. No, that's right. that's mm-hmm. and this everybody is, in the pool, guys. Yeah, and this is one of those fights where, like I was saying before, it's a shining moment for Tiberius. And mm-hmm. I've been harsh on the character, and I will continue to be harsh on the character because I just don't like the character narratively. Yeah, not as harsh as Borogal will be. That being boom, that's that's there. That's not a spoiler alert. Nobody, if you're if you're watching from the beginning, you That's don't know true. what those words mean. That is true. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I just I just threw a potential proper noun at you, and you don't know what that is. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> wow, but so fights like this are where he really shines because, like we were talking about in the previous. Fight. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to make a point here. I'm um, sorry. I made myself okay. laugh. <laughs> it's okay. No. It's very easy with, with Dungeons and Dragons to fall into these are my best spells. I'm going to use my best spells. You mean greater invisibility, invis- hex, and eldritch blast? What are you Something talking about? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Or. Or whatever the case may be, and just do the same thing again and again. That is fantastic from a Dungeons and Dragons and tactical standpoint. From a narrative standpoint, or like if you're watching this fight play out in a film or television show, that's boring, boring as shit. hell. Yes, you're absolutely right. And yeah, so yeah. I love that Tiberius doesn't play like that. I mean, mm-hmm. for all for all the crap that Orion gets for for, for metagaming. He varies his spells up on a regular basis. And like right here, he's he's telekinesing people. He's glacial blasting. Later on, he's throwing out ice. Uh, what is it? Ice, ice spikes. Something. Yeah. Ice spikes, yeah. Um, 
He oh. used the glacial blast very differently earlier. There's the yeah, the... and I was actually gonna I was gonna point out as a person who runs Sorcerer Main a lot, mm-hmm. um, it's not a, varying up your spell use isn't necessarily even as difficult as casting a different spell every time. Yeah. It can just be the way you like. I have a character who is a uh, a sorcerer uh, favored soul using the original. Uh, the original Unearth Arcana version of the Favorite Soul, not the new one. Um, and uh, that let you use um, martial weapons. And mm-hmm. so he has a sort of a crosshatch spear. Uh, it's that Japanese-style crosshatch spear where you know the, the spear tip is three blades as opposed to one. Yeah. Um, and uh, he fires, because he has Warcaster as a feat, he fires sear- scorching rays from the tip, from the each tip of his spear. Yeah, and like uses Lo- that while Loki riding. style, and mm-hmm. uses well, and uses that while riding around on a white tiger. Right. So, like you know, doing wow. things. So, you, so you're playing a David Bowie song. No, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm playing Yukimura Sanada from Dynasty Warriors. Okay, or that <laughs> uh, sure. Because yeah. I, um, I, I've totally played all those games. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, um, but, but. It, Doing something as simple as that makes the fairly redundant thing of I cast Scorching Ray over and over again right. more exciting and more interesting. Yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. As somebody who's viewing and watching this stuff, or or that if you're reading it, or whatever the case may be, you want to see new and exciting ways of, of, of these combats playing out. Otherwise, they become dice-rolling exercises, or they become... At the best, even with the Dungeons and Dragons taken out of it, it becomes okay. This is just a, a way to use an expensive budget in an action scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's the Michael Bay scene, literally, where he just copies and pastes his his scenes from previous movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. Tiberius in particular makes sure to keep each fight interesting and 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 unexpected and visually dynamic. Which yep. to to go back to your Michael Bay comment, every good director will. Yes. As long as they're improving it the next time they do it. Yes. Whereas he, he like literally hitch, Right. He right. Yeah. No, Mike, Michael Bay <laughs> tends to just roll, roll the Xerox machine in and hit the button, well, no, you know, He right. uses the same footage in new right. movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. You know, whereas like Hitchcock, you know, there are there right. are mo- there are scenes that are lifted almost verbatim from earlier movies but he does them slightly differently he's polished them he's refined them you know so yeah it's yep. repetition is not necessarily just the the death of art it's just don't copy paste yeah yeah so <laughs> so uh pike sprints to grog and casts cure wounds on him uh grog ends his rage now i'm not i don't i don't recall why grog ended his rage here no me neither was there a reason Grog um, made like twelve tactical errors in one round, which got him unconscious yeah. from the from the oozes. Yeah. To be honest, I and I watched this right before we started, and I can't tell you why he ended his rage. It is, however, the first time he has ever ended his rage yes. early. I yes. was about to I was about to state that is the first time, as far as we know, I think officially in their campaign. That yes. he ended his rage early. Mm. Um, 
He tried to run back to the creature near the ice spikes, away from the oozes that he was currently fighting, that he had ended his rage while next to. Maybe he thought the oozes were dead. I don't, I don't know, know why, because they clearly I were no not. Idea. I have no idea why he ended his rage and walked away, but he did and got hit by the ooze and fell in <laughs> Because Travis was done with fighting and wanted to be unconscious for a bit? I don't know. I think Travis genuinely lost track of what was happening. Yeah, yeah, he must have, because he should have um, kept his rage up and he should have disengaged. Yep. Like, or, 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 you know, yeah, like... Or just kept attacking the U's. Like, um, no, no, he should not have done that. Well, the, the, the thing is, sorry, I'm getting angry again. No, <laughs> the reason I say that, the reason I say that, if you're so low on health that you're pretty certain you're going to go unconscious regardless, might as well take somebody with you. Might as well take an U's with you. That's fair. Like, yeah. especially when you're a barbarian, that's your focus. Yeah, that's true. Barbarian does not disengage. Barbarian smashes until thing is dead or barbarian is dead. Um I wonder if that might have been why he ended his rage. Was there and cuz they're coming from Pathfinder and for some reason I'm thinking there's there's some rule set where if a barbarian is raging he can't necessarily disengage. More um, or less. It's an overly is, simplified version, but that might be the uh, that might be the um the assumption. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't think there's ever anything. I mean, I know that's not with, the case with, 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 a, few ex- with a few exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's typically never an issue of a barbarian picking a target right. or not being able to back away from a target. Mm-hmm. And that may be an in-character thing where it's like, so long as I'm raging, I'm not going to back away from a target. Right. Um, but... Uh, and and it, and and at the same time, it doesn't make sense for uh, like while while there's no mechanical restriction uh, from changing targets while in a rage, uh, it may be a grog thing. Well, whereas like I can't not attack the target I'm attacking as long as I'm in a rage. Right. Um, but either way, that that may be why he ended his rage, which, so he could right, try to which, move some way. Which would be a great little uh, character flavor thing to throw in. Yeah, you know, it would be um, if, if right. it had been explained. Right. Um, but, but but yeah, you 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 do have to delineate those things from a narrative as, perspective. As it as it stands right now, the way we're analyzing it, he ended his rage for no reason right. and stepped away for no reason to get knocked out for no reason, mm-hmm. um, or at least with no side effect coming from it. Like like getting knocked out from smashing the ooze would have been understandable. Maybe not tactically sound, but understandable. Um, getting you know like like. Raging and just charging off into the next thing and getting attacked and getting knocked out from attack of opportunity would have also been understandable. But stopping the rage and consciously deciding to step away from the ooze and just eat, eat both just of those attacks eat, of opportunity yeah. rather yeah. than eliminating uh, them. Yeah. Anyways, one of the oozes moves towards Pike and Vax and gets an attack of opportunity. Uh, sorry, get, moves towards Pike and Vax gets an attack of opportunity. Pike gets hit by the ooze. The other two attack Vax, but he dodges out of the way. Clorota, taking a note from Tiberius, uses his own telekinesis to lift a large ooze and slam it on top of the hook horror already in the lava pool, completely dissolving the hook horror. The dominated hook horror moves to the edge of the lava pool and strikes twice at the creature in the lava, causing it to dissipate, but then breaks Scanlan's domination. Tiberius throws two ice spikes at the hook horror, trying to push it into the lava pool, but it holds its ground. Scanlan arcs his sword at the hook horror, at the hook horror 
which is the first time Scanlan's attacked something with a melee weapon? I'd like to say yes. I want to at say yeah. That, at least that we've seen. Right? Um, possibly, almost the last time. Yeah. <laughs> the first oh. time, and he wasn't even con- con- in control of the character. Yeah, no, because if Sam had been there, Scanlan would not have done that. I just yes. guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. First time, and the, and the first time, and the last time. Uh, uh, City of Brass Myth Carver, but yeah, it, yeah. I mean, that's I was making a yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you ruined it. Uh, piercing where Tiberius' eye spikes imbe- embedded, cracking open the armored shell. Vex marks uh, the ooze by the ooze by her brother and makes two bow attacks, killing it. Vax throws his two daggers at the ooze. Finally, a smart decision. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they begin to sink in, but teleport back to his blink back belt. Percy takes two shots at the ooze. It spots against the wall and liquefies. Uh, now, has Percy been shooting this whole time? Yes, he has been. I've been reading yes. about him mm-hmm. shooting. Yep. It just has been of so little consequence, I feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just been Percy shoots. Okay, moving on. Um, Percy didn't get to do much this time, this round, or this fight. No, not a ton. Uh, Keyleth hooks two ends of her thorn whip into the creature and rips it apart. The creature plummets into the magma and distills his, and distills his link form of the ooze. Uh, Pike heals Grog and the rest of the group. Uh, and and they, Percy, everyone lies yeah, yeah. and tells Grog that he killed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Percy examines the card. He discovers a broken and slightly, sc- and slightly scarred glass containment unit and various body parts. Grog loots the ogres and finds some gold, two pieces of which he gives to Vax and two to Pike for healing him. Keyleth collects some shards of broken glass. They tread for another half an hour until it opens up into a familiar cavern to until a familiar into a familiar they continue on for another half an hour until the ca- until the the whatever they're at opens up into a familiar cavern <laughs> they're in the crev- they're in the crevasse where Keyleth and Vax met Clarota. wait wasn't that a dead end no, no. there were other passages out of that canyon that they just never explored. Okay. Yeah. They take this opportunity to collect Trinket. Yes. And that's where they end. Yep. Pretty much. So, first half, eh, but confusing. Second half, lots of confusion. Right. This is, um, plus this is, the fact that literally they just made a circle and more or less, except for the elevation change, Ended up where they started out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is pretty like probably definitely the first uh, lower quality episode. I would say so um, overall. Is, like not much, yeah. especially from a story perspective. Now it's yeah. very easily fixed from a story perspective by yeah. bring the bear with you, and you don't end up in the bottom of the canyon. Boom. Right. Like half the story issues are now fixed. Um. Because there were a lot of good things story-wise that happened in this episode as well. Mostly the non-combat stuff. Um, but, you know, where... I mean, you... Except for the parts where there was a little bit of character dissonance. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, my my main issues on this one are the character dissonance when the general gets skull-sucked. Uh, they're, they're really difficult interactions with the oozes, which 
granted this was a this was a chat voted in monster so you gotta kind of weigh this entire episode with a grain of salt based on you know how that didn't happen very much ever again yeah no i think even matt recognized this was not my finest moment um (laughs) maybe i shouldn't relinquish as much control um yeah so and (laughs) then of course the whole like oh shit we need to get the bear back you end up in the bottom of the canyon i mean maybe that was his plan all along because sometimes it is kind of funny to troll your players uh but you know yeah we're looking at this from a story perspective where that would not have been a good decision so i have a really go ahead sorry go ahead Oh, I have a really weird relationship with this episode. So this is not my first attempt to rewatch through Critical Role from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I tried this probably about three or four months ago, and it lasted exactly four and a half episodes. <laughs> this was the one that and killed a, it for and you. And a half, you say. <laughs> and a half. And it's not even necessarily that I dislike this episode. From a, from a critical standpoint, yes, it has flaws um, that, that that we've all talked about, but it was because I would watch it when I'm going to bed, and typically it would be okay if, if I would fall asleep in the middle of an episode. I'd be like, okay, well, let's 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 finish it up, you know, next night and and go forward four times. Four nights in a row, I couldn't get through this one. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, well, then this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I've got other stuff to watch. Um, and I've and it was sort of a vanity thing to try and rewatch it through anyways. So my opinion, if an, if an episode of this show, which I regularly watch... Until well into the well into the morning every Thursday, because I go and do stuff when it's actually airing live. Um, if I can't make it through an episode in four tries, there's something wrong. Um, yeah. and yet most of the things that when I was w- watching through and and writing down were things that I liked or things that I appreciated. This is one of Tiberius's better episodes. There's, you know, Keyleth is is really on game with a lot of her stuff. So I'm really ambivalent about this episode. Well, I think I can tell you why you couldn't make it through it if you don't already know. Shoot. It's because it's a do-nothing episode. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a big part of it, but there are a lot... Like it, it. There, there are a lot there, of nothing episodes going forward that I that I really like and can make it through without. There are good. Well, the thing is, there are good parts in this episode. There are good aspects of it, but at the end, the episode circles back around to where they were in the beginning. It's a literal cul-de-sac of an episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, this is this is the episode where if you're writing a novel, your editor says, "Okay, keep these three paragraphs and throw yeah, out the rest of the, the chapter." Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a this is a filler episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, it, it is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> Which is what happens when you let the chat decide what happens in the episode. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it's like, and, and and to be perfectly fair, saying a bad episode of Critical Role is saying like a bad, uh, the worst of the of the Doctor Who doctors. Yeah. Still Doctor Who. 
like yeah. it's the it, it, whoever it is it's spoiler alert it it's two it's trotten um <laughs> yeah yeah really no i, I i'm fully behind that <laughs> it, it, it's still really fucking good the line between good and bad is 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 very thin it's just some of them have to be worse than others by sheer metrics yeah um so it's still a it's still a, a unenjoyable episode but yeah it's definitely probably one of the first lower ranking ones mm-hmm. and one that i i enjoyed revisiting for some of the moments and obviously our our discussion on it but not one that i would voluntarily watch again for for, for without me it's, incentive for me it's probably the first skippable episode mhm yeah like you could you and and that that's that's basically the metric by which i judge um, whether or not an episode of a TV series or a, a chapter of a book or a book or a volume of a book itself is good or not, would I miss anything if I didn't consume this piece of media? Right. And the answer is no. Yeah. I would miss absolutely yeah. nothing if I didn't watch this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. No. Because for me, like the vital things in this episode is a little bit of the general's interrogation at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And that is quite literally it. Yeah, yeah. Like if you think about it, all the major story beats. There's yeah, the the it happened in the first twenty minutes. The introduction, you know, more details on Kavarn. Everything else important that happens story wise is reiteration, like uh, Pike's and discussion of the vision. And, the important right. stuff, the 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 details about Kavarn will be repeated next episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So again, so yeah, literally nothing. Yep. And because there was no major character reaction to Clarota eating the general's brain, that will never come up again. Yep. Right. So, yeah. You know, and I want to reiterate to our audience: we do love this series. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like this is the stuff that you have to do when you're when you're analyzing something critically. You have um, to shit on it. It is well, no. It's the <laughs> idea that the things that you love are not immu- are not perfect. No, yeah. and a, a lot of the time we love this stuff because of its flaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this was a perfect D and D game, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun to watch or talk about. No, um, yeah. and if. As people who are analyzing it from from a narrative perspective, we would be putting on a really boring fucking show if we were just all like, yeah, this is great, and this is great, and this is great, and this is great, and this is great. Which is why I'm here to be the sourest member of this trio. (laughs) Well... Sourest, maybe, but definitely not saltiest, because I'm just going to say on the record, if you're ever anybody listening to this, if you're ever in a game with me and you fuck up a fight with oozes, I will choke you to death on your own fucking dice and murder your family. This is why we came across the internet, by the way, because I will purposely fuck them up. I attack them with a sword, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Slashing weapons all the way around and make sure you're right up in their faces. Let's not forget. Slashing electrical damage. Right. Slash- yeah, did like- fight you in yes. Grand Terra. Yes, and I and nearly lost my fuck shit. It up. <laughs> and I nearly lost my shit on all of you people. <laughs> I was white knuckling this desk. I mean, 
And I'm six hours away from the closest one of you. What episode was that? It was when it was down in the first. um, Okay. uh, When we're getting down here. We will continue this discussion off podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't listened to Grand Terror Adventures, by the way, please. It's an all critter cast. It's a lot of fun. Um, Anyway. As long as there aren't oozes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I will make sure to put oozes in all the remaining episodes. More oozes, please, more oozes. Hundred percent more oozes. Quinn don't give a fuck. <laughs> Fakir's gonna steal Quinn's slashing weapons. <laughs> anyway, it's okay. She's got lightning arrow, motherfucker. <laughs> so we have been final show films and this has been critical thinking uh we produce a wide variety of content every day of the week you can check us out on our website at finalshowfilms.com you can also check us out on our patreon page at patreon.com slash fs films if you'd like to support us financially and i want to make this said because I, I i don't iterate this enough uh in, in, in my other forms of media and i realize this during my stream today we don't patreon gate any of our content we do not price gate any of our content, and we do not put, we do not monetize with ads any of our videos on YouTube or our streams or our podcasts. Um, and the reason we do that is because we create the stuff that we create out of the a the enjoyment of creating it, and b the enjoyment knowing that people are enjoying our stuff. Um, and if if we make money off of this, and I would dearly love to make money off of this. I want to know, and Austin and I both agreed to this when we founded the company, we want to know that we earned whatever money we make. And so because of that, the only way to support us financially is with a donation via Patreon, a monthly donation there, and it can be as little as a dollar, as much as you want, um, or a one-time donation on our website through the, pay- or through the PayPal. Um, you can click on the Donate Now button there, and it helps support us there because – we want to. We don't want to get your money, whether get you know get ad money, whether you like us or not. We want to know that we are worth your donations. So, that being said, please support us on Patreon. We appreciate that. We appreciate all of our patrons, especially with our twenty five dollars supporters, Chris Comfort and Atonic. Um, and uh, we appreciate all of uh, all of the people that donate uh, with a one time donation off the website. We appreciate all of you for listening, and we appreciate 411mania.com. Jeremy, give us a spiel. 411mania.com. We are a pop culture news site for, for fanboys, fangirls, fan geeks, whatever. Um, fan geek? Yeah, fan geek. Yeah, fan um, <laughs> We cover movies, TV, a uh, little bit of comic books, music, video games, uh, wrestling, mixed martial arts, and now D&D actual plays and reviews and Everything the the, the the final show film says. Did you hear? Did you hear about the Rotary Daily magazine? They had this new bit. They had this new article about bladeless fans. It was great. Now, all the fan <laughs> geeks were going nuts. I know. All the all fan me, geeks me, were going me, nuts. Me, me, I'm 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 partial to a three blade upright oscillator, but I you know. hate you guys. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's why you do a podcast with us twice. A Absolutely, week. <laughs> <laughs> three with you, three with me. Yeah. Ah, uh, anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening to this shit show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> Bye, Say goodbye, everybody. Assholes. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> I think that was our best sign off yet. Yep. <laughs>